Hey everyone, it's Aline. We'll start the show in just a minute, but before I do, I wanted to let you know about a fundraising campaign for an organization I really believe in, App Camp for Girls. If you listened to episode 36 of Less Than or Equal with App Camp for Girls founder Jean McDonald, you know about the organization already. In case you missed that show, App Camp for Girls is a nonprofit organization that puts on week-long summer camps introducing girls to iOS development and showing them how much fun working in tech can be. As of the day the show is posted, Monday, June 29th, 2015, there are just a few days left on the Indiegogo campaign. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, as well as a post about what that money means for App Camp for Girls. If you have a couple of bucks to spare, you can help bring this program to more girls in more cities. Thanks so much. And now, on to the show. Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by my friend, Steve Lubitz. Steve, welcome. Well, thank you for having me back. I'm, I'm glad that I didn't trash the place too badly the first time that you had me on that you're willing to, uh, <laughs> to, to have, me, have me come back on. So, Steve, you, you were on, on episode 12. Um, and I guess I don't typically do the who are you thing um, for repeat guests, but Steve is host of Isometric and um, uh, Internet Dad Joke Man Extraordinaire. Connoisseur. I, li- I like to think of myself as a connoisseur of Dan jokes. Well, I think of a connoisseur as more of a less of a doer and more of like a collector observer type person. But oh, I do curate them. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I, I do curate and appreciate others. Others dad jokes. All right. I'm a little scared that this is like your curated subset of dad jokes that that I. Oh, that, that, that you're I seeing get. the best yeah. of what I have to offer, and that's what that's what you're afraid of. I, I would be afraid too. I don't blame you. <laughs> oh, I love it. You should see the stuff that doesn't make the cut. You know, I, I'd like to. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you can start the rejected dad joke um, hashtag. I, I should I should do that. I should that should be what I become known for is rejected dad jokes. Yeah, there's a lot of prestige <laughs> in hashtags. I hear. Yeah, there's a lot of money in that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> retire <laughs> move to canada with no pixie sticks oh uh, you know it, it's really i i don't understand how how you can have grown up without pixie sticks but you know georgia dow is is a saint regardless so yeah she's she's pretty cool and i guess the inside joke is um isometric georgia dow is from montreal and has no access to pixie sticks um which is very sad um it, it's sadder more that we co- torment her with pixie sticks on pretty much every episode since she re- revealed that to us so <laughs> well yeah. I'm just waiting for her to get the surprise pixie stick shipment. But if Brianna's in charge of it, it's never going to happen. Well, she tried, but she can't get it past customs. She's going to eat them. Oh, she. Oh, they can't get past customs. That's hilarious. She tried to ship them to them. They wouldn't ship it to oh, her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll see if I can find a Montreal pixie stick mule. <laughs> well, we'll ha- yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do an exchange the next time she comes right? down to, to the U.S. Because we... My my, uh, my wife Maureen has commissioned her to bring down Kinder eggs, which are uh, chocolate um, chocolate covered toys that children can choke on. That our children are old enough to not choke on, but that she um, that we can't buy here. So and Maureen has remembered those from her childhood. So we've asked Georgia to smuggle those over the border <laughs> for us uh, the last time, a couple times that she came down for um, from Canada to the U.S. So. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh gosh. 
All right. Oh, international law. (sighs) You so crazy. Indeed. (laughs) Um, So, Steve, you are here because the last time we talked, the episode was kind of about your experiences as the dad of autistic daughters. Yeah. And what I knew at the time, but what you weren't talking about openly yet was that you were um, at that time going um, undergoing testing for um, a potential ADD diagnosis, um, which you received and you are now like learning how to um, medicate appropriately for you and, um, you know, compensate with reminders on your phone and like all sorts of things. So I thought it would be an interesting conversation to have you on and talk about like the process of getting diagnosed and, and, and just adapting to life post ADD, adult ADD diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so what the, the backstory about this, and this was happening, I think literally like the day that we were recording was like around when it was, it had just started. Right. Um, so as we talked about at length, uh, the last time that you had me on, I have uh, two daughters who are on the autism spectrum. So as part of that, we have uh, regular visits to a neurologist, uh, with all three of them, because even the, the one twin, my daughters are, um, are eight and six. I have a, my oldest is eight and my twins are six years old. So even the twin who is not on the autism spectrum, the neurologist still wants to check up on her just to, you know, there's already two and he just wants to kind of keep an eye on her to make sure everything's going okay with her too. So, um, the last couple of times that we had been to him, we had, um, we had gotten a diagnosis of ADD for my oldest right at the end of the last school year. And then, uh, we started seeing a lot of the same things in her sister, the one who, the twin who's not on the autism spectrum. And then, Uh, In October of last year, she was diagnosed as well. And this was, you know, I mean, it's kind of it. uh, To be honest with you, it actually kind of hit me a little bit more than the when we got the autism diagnosis, only because the autism diagnosis was something that we kind of been preparing ourselves for for a really long time. And when they were diagnosed with ADD, it was kind of a surprise out of nowhere. I mean, in retrospect, it's not. But um, but it, at the time, it was kind of a surprise that that was something that he was seeing in them, too. And ADD and autism does uh, – they are correlated mm-hmm. sometimes. So it's not a complete, you know, out of the blue that that would happen. So we're sitting in the neurologist's office and I'm – we're talking about my, my t- younger daughter. And we're watching her as he's describing a lot of the behavior that he's seeing. And in particular, I'm noticing that – so he has her – he kind of interviews her. He kind of asks her to, you know, what what school she goes to and he asks her to do some basic, uh, you know, reading and writing. You know, it, she's, she was five at the time. She's not going to be doing any – it's not going to be a really deep uh, involved conversation. But just kind of to be able to observe her at, in response to that. And so he finishes up that portion of it and he starts talking to us about it and he's describing the things that he's seeing. And as – He's doing that. I'm seeing her playing with the he has like a box, a chest of toys that's in the back room that she's playing with while while the adults are talking. And I can see her kind of picking something up, playing with it for a minute and then putting it down and going on to something else. And kind of the the way that she some things that she did, like she was um, we have we do Kumon, which is it's, it's kind of an enrichment program. So the kids bring home. Uh, worksheets every every day mm-hmm. and then they do a worksheet of either reading or, or or in her case it's math 
And there are sometimes she was doing like basic. I think she was probably doing addition at the time. She's doing subtraction now. And what she would do is that there are some days that she would blow through the thing in like 10 minutes. And then there are some days that it would take her two hours. Mm -hmm. And we she would generally get like 90, 95 percent of it right. But it's just how long it would take her to get there was always going to be a mystery. And but, you know, we can see that she's actually able to do it and she's smart enough to be able to blow through these things. No problem. But it's just when she sits down and, and does it, it will work for her. But if she's going to be able to do it that day or not is really kind of up in the air. So we're sitting in that in that meeting and he's explaining everything that he's seeing. And I'm sitting here having a second child within three months being diagnosed for ADD. And I'm thinking to myself, that sounds a lot like me. But I have never really thought of myself as someone who had ADD. I, I wrote a I wrote a post. I actually wrote it right around when we were recording last, but I didn't put mm-hmm. it up until December because that's how long it took me between when I first had this revelation and when I finally got the diagnosis two months later, mostly because of uh, some fun disagreements between my primary care and the and the insurance company about who they should be sending me to and when. But, oh, insurance. Yeah. Yay. Yay, America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was, we're supposed to be the good ones in Massachusetts, too. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but in any event, so the, I wrote up this post, just kind of something that I was going to bring myself with myself to the doctor. Like I started writing everything out and then it ended up becoming a blog post that I decided to put up. Just, I was mostly making a list for myself of the things that I wanted to talk to the doctor about and things that as I started thinking about this, I started realizing and it because the thing is that I'm not hyperactive. Like everyone mm-hmm. thinks of AD, ADD as ADHD and and the H is kind of optional. Um, and I'm not really a hyperactive person. I never have been. I, I'm more likely to be sitting somewhere and doing something, but I'm not usually like flying around and I'm not like jumping up all over the place and I, I can sit still for, you know, periods of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I'm doing a podcast. I sit here for, <laughs> you know, an hour and a half to two hours every week recording, right. and, you know, and if I was editing, hyperactive. Yeah. yeah and, the, and, you know, how like the four or five or six hours it takes me to edit the podcast. And, and, you know, it's not like I can't focus on anything ever. And that's the one thing that I really didn't understand about ADD at the time is that, you know, the, the pop culture idea of what ADD is, is like the dog from up, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's in the middle of a sentence and all of a sudden, oh, squirrel. And, and and then goes back to what he's doing. And that's not necessarily what it is. There are some people who are extremely distractible that way and distractibility does come into it, Mm -hmm. but it's not really so much a, it's not as much about a lack of focus as inconsistent ability to focus. Yeah, there's the hyperactive type and then there's also inattentive yeah. type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and it's so I've always kind of thought of myself as not having ADD. And, and you know, it, I should point out here, my mom was a first grade teacher in the 90s, right? Like when everybody and their brother was getting diagnosed for ADD and this never crossed any of our minds, not hers, not mine. So because I was never like I took one of these evaluations that I took with the primary care before they decided if they were going to send me to the psychiatrist or not was, well, you know, was talking about my history in school. And it's and a lot of the questions are like, you know, did you fail any classes? Um, you know, did you were you sent to the principal's office a lot? And and that wasn't the case for me. Like I got all my work done. I got A's through most of school with the exception of a couple of classes. And it was never school was never an issue for me. But I also never 
really did homework when I was supposed to. I did homework like always the period before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of doing things at the last minute because I didn't really want to do it until it was panic time and then I would get it done. But I never had problems in school. Like I graduated with a decent with a decent grade point average from a good college. I've been working as a programmer in IT for the last 15 years. And it's like programming is not the kind of thing that you can do if you have a complete inability to focus. Mm-hmm. Like you if you're especially when you're getting down into debugging and stuff like that, when you're you're going really deep into something, that's not something you can do if you can't focus at all. But I could definitely tell that um, there were times when I would have conversations and I would not be there. Like I would be having a conversation. I would be looking the person in the eye. We would be talking and I would not be processing anything that they were saying mm-hmm. because something else was on my mind. Or I would be trying to read something and I would get through three paragraphs and then all of a sudden I'd be reading the same five words over and over again and losing my place then having to start over and then losing my place then having to start over uh, to the point where I haven't really read a printed book in years. Um, I've, I've read audiobooks. I mean, I have a hellish commute to Boston every day, so I, I would listen to audiobooks. And I listen to podcasts a lot to get through that that commute. But I haven't really sat down and read a book just because I haven't been able to get my brain to focus on it. So it was those types types of things that um, that I didn't really realize. Like I joked about having like, quote unquote, externally imposed ADD um, because I'd have all these things coming at me and I'd constantly be shifting focus and I wouldn't ever be able to get to do anything. And then I'm realizing that like, Oh, no, it's actually not a joke. Right. It's, 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 this is it's my life. Really, this is really what it is. Like, I don't I'm not like having like fake ADD. No, I actually have ADD. And it's and it kind of started to explain like a lot of the things that I've done and the things that I haven't been able to do and the the way that I've behaved that I haven't even really been conscious of, because they're just things that when you're when your your attention is elsewhere, your attention wants to be elsewhere, you just kind of do things and you don't really think about how you're doing them. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of filled in a lot of the a lot of the gaps in, you know, the way that I've just am. And it was kind of a shocking thing to be 35 years old and, you know, ha- finally come to this conclusion that, no, I really do have ADD. And this is why I've done all the things that I've done for the last 35 years, the way that I've done them. And that doesn't mean that I haven't, I haven't, you know, not that I haven't been able to be a functional adult, but I may not have been the most functional adult that I could be because this was just going under the radar. So what was it like for you when you got your diagnosis? Where Was it like, oh, thank God, I like things make sense now? Or did I've, I've known people who have like mourned, like, yeah. I can't believe that this is, this is what's going on. Yeah. Well, it was a little bit of that because it took so freaking long to, to get there. But um, I, I'm going to the best analogy. So I'm a video game guy, right? I do a gaming podcast, I think, in terms of video games. I'm going to spoil Bioshock for you. If you don't want to have if you haven't played that, it's like an eight year old game. If you haven't played that, you might want to skip ahead a couple of minutes. But this was this was what it was like for me was in Bioshock. You are playing a guy who crashes on a plane and then he ends up um, in this finding this underwater city and kind of being led down into it. And it's clear that things aren't going well. And the very beginning of the game, he finds this radio and it's this guy named Atlas who is asking him to, you know, he's kind of helping him through and kind of helping him navigate the world and telling him what he needs to do in order to get out. And the long story short, the 
the guy very often will ask him to do things and he will say with the phrase, would you kindly, would you kindly go get this? Would you kindly go here? Would you kindly, you know, do this thing? And, And that would usually go along with there being like a mission objective in the game. So, okay, would you kindly go here? Okay, you need to go to Fontaine Fishery. Okay, let's go to Fontaine Fishery. Um, and, and Bioshock is a game all about choice. Like a lot of it is being able to strategize and being able to determine how you're going to set up a trap to be able to get these enemies to uh, to fall without, you know, getting killed because they're way stronger than you. There's a lot. And, you know, there are little sisters who you can either rescue or harvest for energy, depending on what you want to do. So there's a lot of it's supposedly about choice. And you get to the end of the game. And what you find out is that as this guy's been in your ear this whole time when he keeps saying would you kindly that's actually like a hypnotic trigger that at anything that you that the character would hear after that he would be compelled to do and so you start thinking about everything that the guy said all throughout the game and what he'd been asking you to do and also the fact that you thought that as a player you had a lot of agency in this game and you've actually been as a player been guided down the same linear path by this guy saying, would you kindly, not only was the character being compelled to do things, but because these were mission objectives that you needed to clear in order to keep going through the game, you as a player have actually not had the agency that you thought you were, and you were not doing things with the free will that you thought you had been doing through the whole game. So this was kind of like what that was for me, that there were, I I started looking back, and, and you know, it's the kind of thing that you start looking, it's at the end of the game, so you start looking back at everything that was happening and realize what was really going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking back at everything that I've done in terms of not knowing that I had ADD, but that ADD was a part of it, and realizing oh, that's why I never took a book home in high school, because I couldn't be bothered to do you know, to do any studying and just did it the, the, the period before. This is why I fought, I fought with my parents over, you know, prepping for the SAT because I couldn't get myself interested enough to focus in it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is why I fiddle with my phone constantly, even when there's nothing going on. And, and, you know, even like this is why some of the relationships in my life have been revolving around me, uh, you know, people thinking that I am not as invested in the relationship as they are because, I am to them blowing things off when I'm normally a- appear to be a very organized person when it's just that I will get distracted and it just won't happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and so that was kind of a lot of it was a relief to know that there was a reason for it. But there's also kind of this period where you look back on everything and, and I mean everything. And it's like, oh, my God, like how first of all, you feel stupid because it's like how could I not know that this was just going on? Right. And then it's also like, oh my God, like all the things that I've not done because of this, that all the things I've not been able to do because of this. I mean, the flip side of that is kind of turning that to around to a positive and saying, look at all the things I was able to do despite the fact that I'm dealing with this. Um, but that's a hard thing to do in the moment. You know what I mean? So there, it was kind of, at, at first it was a very, it was a very relief, relieving thing, especially once I got on the medicine and realized what it felt to be more of a typical person mm-hmm. with the help of the medicine. It's not it's not a complete cure and we can get into that, but it's not a, it's not a silver bullet, but it helps a lot. Um, but it's also kind of this regret of, you know, feeling like almost feel like I wasted all my all that time in my life, if right. that makes sense. What could I what could I have accomplished if I hadn't? Exactly. If, so yeah. it's it's kind of, you know, and it, it depending on the day, it kind of goes up and down. So 
what was the process of getting diagnosed like? It was... Besides arduous. Yeah, it was mostly <laughs> arduous. It's funny because um, the... So I went to my primary care and she had me fill out a couple of surveys. And so the first thing that they tell you is that they need to screen you not only for ADD, but also for anxiety and depression, because all of these things are like on a continuum. Mm -hmm. So they need to rule out anxiety and depression before they can go to ADD, because the the way that they get to an ADD diagnosis is basically by ruling out everything else. So if you are suffering from anxiety or you're suffering from depression, that's what they need to treat before they even start discussing ADD. I, I didn't have either of those things. So then then we started, then it was kind of an that second visit was that other test where they're talking about what's in school, what, you know, what did you do in school and, and how was your childhood and stuff like that. And I didn't do very well on that because my childhood, I, I managed, right? Like right. I... I didn't, I got around it and some people can't. And those are the people who will get diagnosed as a kid. I kind of just worked around it. Like it was something that was there. And despite it, I managed to do what I needed to do most of the time. And so that really, I didn't really score very well on that. But in any event, it was a lot of calling the, then the, the most of that two months was really just calling the doctor's office and calling the insurance company on a regular basis and being like, can you get me an appointment with anybody like, you know, and somebody, you know, the doctor would send me to a doctor, would send me to a practice, but they weren't accepting the insurance or they weren't, or the insurance wouldn't pay for uh, the evaluation that I needed to do. It, it turned out Ugh. that it's actually really difficult to get just an evaluation for ADD, at least it was for me and my insurance company. Um, but eventually, like two months later, I got an appointment with a psychiatrist and it was a very short conversation, all things considered. Um, it was really, you know, she asked me about my childhood. I kind of unloaded on her all this stuff that I <laughs> that I've been I'd had pent up for two months. Well, since I'm in therapy, yeah, it, it wasn't even really like therapy because she wasn't really, you know, she wasn't really trying to help me work through any of that. Um, she was basically just trying to get an idea of whether, um, you know, whether it sounded like this was what I had. And event, you know, we got to the end of that conversation. And she said, okay, well, here's, here's some books you can read. The Driven by, Driven, Driven, Driven to, to Distraction. Distraction. Yeah, it is fantastic, by the way. And if you think you have ADD, you should absolutely read or listen to that book. Because um, it will either, it'll either make it clear that you do or don't. And it'll also help explain some of the things that are going on that are underneath that are beyond just the distractibility that come from having undiagnosed ADD. Um, so, and then she's like, well, we can try this medicine and we'll see what happens. And, you know, if you react well to it, then we'll know that that's what it is. And if you don't, if you, if it ends up calming you down, basically, then that will be, then we're pretty sure that that's what it is. And we'll just keep going with it. And if not, then you'll come back and we'll figure it out. And, and it turned out that the first, you know, we went on Adderall and the, we tried that. And that was, that was a real game changer real quickly. Good. So it w it worked out really well. You know, we've had to get it, you know, there, it's always an adjustment period as you get used to it. But and there were some things that were not great about it, at least in the beginning, as you're, you know, adjusting any kind of medicine like that, the, the adjustment period is not great. Um, but that ended up working out really well. And then we kind of figured out what the right dosage was. And that has really been a big, you know, a big difference maker over the last six months or so. So let's see. One thing that I did want to mention is that like high functioning ADHD, it's really hard to get or ADD, ADD or ADHD. 
Yeah. It's really hard to get a diagnosis because like you have, you have these coping mechanisms in place um, and you're able to like, you're, you're smart or resourceful or, you know, whatever, some combination of things that enables you to function well enough, you know, and, and kind of that's, where it is um yeah and stay out of trouble too is the other thing i mean a lot of a lot of add and adhd is impulsive impulsivity and they will sometimes pick that up if you are getting into trouble a lot and and doing things that are ill-advised that you should know better than to do um but you can still do that i was always too anxious of breaking a rule as a kid to ever go down that road Mm -hmm. for anything. I never even like shoplifted as a kid or anything like that. Like I was always, you know, very straight and narrow, followed the rules, stuff like that. So I never got myself into trouble, which is the other way that they would pick it up. And the other thing too, is for girls, it's diagnosed less frequently because people are looking for those types of things. Um, And the theory that I've read is that girls are socialized because we are so heavily socialized to be, you know, kind of quiet and not rambunctious and, and sit and be quiet that, that girls often internalize more than uh, more frequently than boys do. Um, So just kind of a thing for parents, or maybe if you think you might have ADD to look out for is like kind of this inattentiveness that Steve has been describing because um, one way I've heard it described is like internalized hyperactivity. Like you're not physically displaying the things, but your, your brain is going from place to place to place. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. One of the things that, that really stood out to me around the time that my older daughter was getting diagnosed is that, um, right around then was the end of the year Girl Scout ceremony where, um, she was in daisies at the time and she was moving up to brownies. And what they do is they have a, what they call a bridging ceremony, uh, where there's like actually like a little bridge on the stage and they walk over the bridge and the bridge has like, it's colored with like rainbow colors and it's got things that are written on it. And they walk over the bridge and that's their bridging from one, you know, type of Girl Scout to another. So they're bridging from, from Daisy to Brownie. So all the kids would get called one by one and they'd go and they'd walk very quickly, you know, very, very politely and very, you know, just walk over it, walk over the bridge and get whatever their gift was. And then they would stand in the in the line. And what my daughter did was she stopped on the bridge and for a really long time until they had to kind of say, you know, you need to move along mm-hmm. so the next girl can go. And I asked her afterwards, why was she stopped on the bridge? Well, I wanted to read everything that was written on there, Mm. you know, and and it was just kind of like she saw that stuff was written on there and that she needed to read it and that she didn't really realize where she was Mm -hmm. and that she needed to get to the other side because she was part of a ceremony. She's like, oh, well, I need to read this. So I'm going to I'm going to read it now. I mean, again, part of that may be part of that may be, you know, from autism and part of it may be ADD and some of it, you know, it's kind of hard to tell. So some of the behavior, some of the 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 non neurotypical behaviors apart sometimes. But that was kind of one thing that really kind of stood out. And that was like a week before she got diagnosed. So that's one of the things that really stood out. I mean, my the her younger sister is definitely hyperactive. (laughs) Like she's bouncing off the walls like all the time. And that's that's something that we have had to, you know, to work on with her. But she, my oldest, was never really like super hyperactive, but she definitely was very impulsive and she would, um, she would be very easily distracted and, but not necessarily in a way that would get her sent to the principal's office, if that makes sense. So how has life changed for you since you've started medication, firstly, and secondly, like 
adjusted your dosage and like actually become accustomed to it because there are some side effects that are problematic at least they were for me when I uh Adderall especially so how has that been for you yeah it it was tough for the first month because the problem that I had with Adderall is that um so they they there are two different types of dosages they can put you on it's either there's like either a a pill that you take that takes effect immediately but it wears off quickly or there's what they call an extended release that generally lasts like most of the day and so they started me out on the extended release and that was that was good when it was working but it would only last me like eight eight or nine hours so would my i kind of had to choose between well am i going to be a productive worker today or am i going to be uh am i going to be uh helpful at home with my wife and the girls you know because i kind of had to choose Mm -hmm. like it wasn't there wasn't enough coverage for both so that was the first adjustment that we made because well what will happen is that at least for me when it wore off it was it was a pretty hard crash and it was like I was kind of in a zombie state for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So we kind of put on a, did a, what we what I'm I don't know if that's my term or just what the doctor was calling whatever a booster mm-hmm. that is one of the you know the more quick acting ones that I take in the evening or the, the late afternoon just to you know make sure that I'm if I'm going to be crashing it's bedtime because um, I mean I I can't really choose between you know, do I want to be productive at work or do I want to be, you know, available for my kids at the end of the day too? Like that, that wasn't really going to work for me. Um, but what I, what I found is that, um, this, as far as the other side effects, I haven't, you know, it used to, it did have some effect on my appetite. That's not been an issue lately. Um, sometimes it can affect your appetite and kind of make you eat less, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily mind all that much, but you know, um, but what I did, what what one of the things that comes along with it is that it's not going to all of a sudden make the ADD go away. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the thing that people who are not on the medicine don't really understand is that it's not going to just fix everything. Uh, it's it helps like it, it provides more mental stamina to be able to focus on things. I, well, the way you have to kind of think of it is that focusing for someone who has an ADD is an an active effort. Mm-hmm. And if you are trying to do that all day and you don't have anything to help you, it can get very exhausting. And then once that exhaustion kind of hits, it becomes harder and harder to fend that off. So it's still a matter of even though I have the medicine, that doesn't make the urges to give in the distraction go away. It doesn't mean that I'm all of a sudden going to be able to, you know, plow through a 500-page a, a book in a sitting because I can just super focus on it. It's not. Um, but what I can do is when I can feel a distraction coming on, I can kind of recenter myself and say, no, I need to focus on this now and I need to push that away for right now. If I'm speaking to somebody and I can focus on what they're telling me and not go off into, um, you know, into – my own little space. Mm-hmm. Like if I get uh, a, a complex project, one thing that would happen is I would feel like this almost physical, it really was physical, like tiredness come over me as I started to try to figure out how all the pieces were going to go together and, and just kind of figure out what the steps were. Like I would physically get tired. I would feel my eyelids getting, getting heavy and that kind of doesn't happen as much. But if I'm not sleeping, if I'm not eating right, if I'm not eating regularly, then those kinds of things still, kind of pop up and it makes it harder to push them off. 
And the other thing that I've had to do is kind of recognize all the behaviors that I've had that were giving into the distraction all the time and do what I can to um, to remove as many of them as I possibly can. Um, my phone is a big one because it's always there and it's always ready and able to provide any and all distractions, you know, that quickly. you like very quickly, very quickly. And, and I mean, I was like a notification addict. I was, I had notifications turned on for like almost everything. Like I wanted, I want anything happened. Like something is happening on the internet. Like I need to know <laughs> like right now what's going on. And it's like, I had, you know, favorite, you know, Twitter, Twitter favorite notifications turned on and like, yeah, I uh, no, no. not not a good place. So I've what I've kind of done over the last few months is I've more and, and it's a regular process, but I've gone through and pared down what my phone is allowed to bug me about, uh, which is really kind of a big thing. I mean, it's got it's a big thing for anybody, but especially with ADD and knowing that every time my phone buzzes, I'm going to it's not even that I'm going to reflexively pick it up, but it's that I'm going to know that it's buzzed. And I'm either going to look at it and then get distracted by whatever that is, or I'm going to leave it in my pocket and then I'm going to be constantly thinking every 30 seconds. What about that? I wonder what, why, I wonder why my phone just buzzed. Why did my phone just buzz? Something's happening. I need to know what's going on. What what could possibly be happening? My phone was buzzing. So if that's happening when it's when it's a legitimate thing, then that's okay. If that's happening because I made a dad joke on Twitter and somebody starred it, like that's less good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even it got to the point where I pared down, I get notifications for almost nothing now. Um, there are a couple of apps that are allowed to send me notifications and everything else is just silence and I'll go in and check the app manually when I'm in a place where I'm allowing myself to to look at it um, to the point where and I'm not going to pretend that this was one of my finest moments because it totally wasn't. It was um, in it was in the, the middle of an argument and I'll just be upfront and honest about that. But I, um, I've taken Twitter off my phone entirely. I don't have a Twitter app on my phone. I can post to it from like, I can send pictures through whatever's built into iOS, but I don't, but I don't have a Twitter client installed on my phone. If I want to use Twitter, I need to be sitting at a computer, which means that I'm probably in a state where I can actually like physically browse Twitter. Um, but because I would just go into it and I would just be refreshing Twitter constantly mm -hmm. and like, oh, you know, nobody it's nobody's tweeted in 15 seconds. What's going on? And just <laughs> even just like pulling down the thing and like knowing that, that there's that one tweet is not worth spending my time doing the pull refresh like every 15 seconds. But I would do it because it was there and it was it was something that I would just kind of get myself, um, you know, hyper focused on. I've started with Twitter. I've started relying on lists a lot more too. Like yeah. I don't, I I don't follow a lot of people, and that's by design because I was like, well, I can read my entire timeline. Um, but now I've even pared it down more, so I have a secret hidden list that nobody, so nobody can go spy on me. But that's you know that's like my must read list, and um, like I just started this three or four days ago because I've always been a, a completionist, and like I've got my don't miss list, and that's what. I read and if I've got an extra few minutes then you know I'll go you know go back to my main feed and, and read a little bit more but especially um with the Charleston shootings and yeah. I just I um it, it was so high volume and it was so um so depressing and like I just haven't been in a place where I can handle that stress that you know 
so I just I've stopped, you know, and I'm I'm reading my my must read list for the most part and leaving the rest of it to the side. And um, that's helping me. So, yeah, that that's what I've ended up having to do. I mean, I did it mostly because I felt like I was missing out on people who I really did want to keep up with. And by doing it this way, it was making it much more likely that I was going to miss things. Mm -hmm. And part of that was just accepting it. But part of it was also making that list mm -hmm. so that I wouldn't miss those people. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely and it makes it a lot easier, even when I'm at a computer to not get completely sucked into Twitter, because that's a finite list of tweets like the my my main timeline can go can update constantly. Right. But at a certain point, I'm going to catch up with the number. It's only maybe like 40 or 50 people that I that I have on this list. And those once I've gotten through that, it's like, OK, well, I know everything that's going on. I can go do something else now. Yeah. Um, whereas if with my main list and with my main timeline, that was never going to end. You know what I mean? Like that was that that's like a never ending font of something interesting is happening. And let me see what's going on. And, and you know, whether it was interesting or not, or whether it was making me feel good about myself or not. Right. Um, I mean, like you said, it's very easy to get sucked into uh, a vortex of negativity on Twitter, too, when you have, you know, when something's going on and you have people who are either, you know, upset themselves or they're, you know, and not, not even saying that that's not necessarily valid, but that doesn't mean that that's healthy for you to experience right. all the time either. And that's something that I definitely was kind of indulging in a lot. And that that had an effect on me other than that. Yeah. Um. But so most of my notifications are completely turned off. And the only one that I really uh, I have rely on is do, which is a reminder app, which is amazing. Um, it's all oh, it's the best. It's absolutely the best. I mean, I know this isn't an, you know, this isn't this isn't Mac break weekly or anything like that. But um, but I, I got very frustrated with the built in reminders app on the iPhone because um, I have to take my medicine at a very particular time, because if I take it, if I take it too early, then I don't have coverage for the day. If I take it too late, then it messes up my sleep, because at the end of the day, it is you know, it is a stimulant. Mm -hmm. And if you take it too late, it will keep you from being able to get to get to bed on time, which ends up creating more problems the next day. So I, I have to take my medicine at certain times within like a half hour range. And what I would do is I okay, well, what happens is that if you get distracted, what will happen with me if I get in if I get wrapped up into something that I would end up missing it or or I would take it and not remember if I took it or not, which is even worse. Because then you start, then you just start sitting around wondering, did I take it? Uh -huh. Did I not take it? Do I need to take it again? Do I, should I, and, and. It'll, what happens if I know, double dose? Would yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't want to find that out either. <laughs> so I, so I was using the built-in reminders app that every day I would, you know, at two, two times during the day, it will go off and tell me that it's time to take my medicine. And uh, sometimes it just wouldn't. And um, sometimes if you don't on iOS, if you don't clear the reminder on a daily reminder, it won't go off the next day until you go into the app and clear it, which is uh, it seems like it's by design and it's terrible. Um, or sometimes I would have it clear and it just wouldn't go off. And there was one day that I was taking one of my daughters to a softball game and uh, it didn't go off when it was supposed to. And then I had driven her I, I was already in the car when I realized. And then by the time I knew that by the time we got back, I wasn't going to be able to take it. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to have to suck it up for the day for the rest of the day. So um, I went over to I started looking at other reminder apps and do is amazing because what it will do, which is if you have ADD, it is the best feature ever is basically that you can set a recurring reminder or any reminder, really. And it will keep going off every number of minutes until you clear it. 
So basically every 10 minutes after it's time for me to take my medicine, it will go off. Did you take your medicine yet? Did you take your medicine yet? Did you take your medicine yet? And not only will it a keep reminding me that it's that I haven't taken my medicine, but it will also since I only I clear it immediately after I do take my medicine, I will know that I have taken my medicine for the day. So and, you know, it's useful for other things, too. Like I have, you know, the trash and I have posting the episode on Sunday nights and anything that I am likely to that has to happen at a particular time. And I'm likely to get wrapped up in something else and need it to remind me and keep reminding me in case I am not at the right place to be able to do it, because, you know, popping a pill is not always, you know, a, not, not always acceptable in the <laughs> right. middle of a business meeting. Like a meeting yeah. uh, or, you know, or if I just I can't do it right that second, but I will do I don't want I need to do it. It will keep reminding me until I clear it. And that is that has really been a, a major, major help for me to make sure that I get things done when I know that I need to do them. And it helps me be more accountable. And they have an Apple Watch app for those of you who own it. Um, that's that's pretty nice, too. Yeah, I passed on the watch. We've we've had this discussion offline. I passed on the watch because I, I basically read that it was all notifications in Siri and Siri doesn't ever get get anything that I tell her right. <laughs> yeah, I have that problem, too. And um, and I've killed all the notifications on my phone for the most part. So, you know, it, it would be a very lovely timepiece, but I'm, I'm not spending that kind of money on a very lovely timepiece at this point. Yeah, so. no, no, I needed it for work since I yeah. um. I, I'm on the iOS team and I do iOS documentation, all that. So like that yeah. all fell under my purview. Otherwise, I don't think I would have got one either. Um, I wrote about it, I guess. Yeah, I wrote it's about nice, it. It's nice to get you. It's nice to get yourself a nice toy every it, so often. It but, is. But I did. I did appreciate your your review of it from, you know, the same being kind of in the same place that I am. So, yeah. And I've since um, it, it was super nice at like uh, WWDC because, of course, like the app integrated. So I could just look at my watch for the sessions that I had favorited. And um, I did turn on text message notifications um, for while I was there just because I was trying to coordinate with so many people, um, which was a double edged sword. But whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other than that, it's just, you know, it's still pretty much the same as as my review. So. Um, it's, it's fine. Some people like it a lot more than I do. I forget to put it on some days, you know, when I'm just going to be around the house. So it's not like an integral, important thing for me. Um, which I kind of wanted it to be, but you know, it's nice to have shiny, shiny things every so often. It too. is. I appreciate the new shiny. So, yeah. um, so can I ask, um, if your daughters are on medication and if they are, how that's going? So they are. We didn't originally with my younger daughter. We kind of kept an eye on her because she was we, we figured that she was going to be OK in school. And, you know, she was doing OK in school I and mean, she's only in kindergarten. So, you know, we kind of figured that until it started becoming an issue that we would keep an eye on her. We ended up doing that because, um, you know, her behavior has been very disruptive to her sisters and also that it's been starting to get in the way of her being able to stay focused in school. So we wanted to try to um, get her on a very low dose just to see if that would help her out a little bit. Um, my oldest, you know, being in second, just finishing up second grade, she w went on medication at the very end of that, of, of her first grade year. And that it has, it has helped her out, um, pretty significantly. Um, it's, you know, it's always a tough decision putting your kid on medicine. Yeah. And, and I know that it's, you know, it's, it's controversial and it's, you know, I mean, there are the effects of putting on a kid on that young on a, on a medicine like that you know, can be kind of scary. Um, but at the end of the day, where where we ended up was that 
you know, not to brag about my kids, but they're they're really smart. Right. They are. And like my oldest is in second grade and she's already doing division. Um, my my, you know, my other daughter who's got ADD is like I said, she's doing subtraction now where they're basic. They're doing like basic addition at the end of kindergarten. So what what we said was that we don't want them, especially after I got diagnosed, like I don't want them to feel like they're being held back the way that I felt like I was being held back, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And and not to make it all about me either, but also like we want them to be able to, um, to be able to take advantage of all the gifts that they have now and and be able to work up to their full potential now without having any roadblocks in the way, if we can help it. So it's something that we keep an eye on really closely. Um, but it's been a mostly positive experience for them. And again, it's on a very low dose. So, you know, we're, we're kind of managing that as we go. It's, it's a tough decision mm-hmm. though, especially at first before I was taking it myself and I knew what it felt like. Um, it was a really difficult decision, but it has really been a net positive for them. Um, especially my older daughter has been improving dramatically in, in second grade over first grade. Um, cause like, that's the one thing that we didn't want to happen for her is for her to be kind of held back by this and not be able to, you know, not be able to keep up with her class, even though we know that she's, she's smart enough to be able to do the work mm-hmm. and she's capable of doing the work. But if she can't focus on it, then what good does it do? Yeah. And I think too, from the perspective of, um, someone who was not diagnosed until I was diagnosed in my early twenties, mid twenties and, you know, I was also an educator, so I've watched kids struggle, and I know what that struggle feels like. And kind of the way I see it is if you try other routes and it's not working, like don't dismiss it just to dismiss it. Because one, if they're they're on if other things aren't working and they're I'm trying to be careful because I know it's controversial and I know it's a very personal decision. Yeah. But like if if your child is is struggling and the other things that you're doing aren't working and aren't helping them manage their symptoms, you know, medication will at the very least help them learn coping mechanisms. Like they will be able to focus to learn how how to maneuver the world, you know, it's a fast world where it's easy to get distracted and learn how to kind of like manage that. And then they can always like try coming off of it later. Like it's, it's not a forever solution if you don't want it to be, but it, it, it doesn't do them any favors just to dismiss it without trying if nothing else works. Yeah. And and I mean, the other thing that, um, that I discovered about myself, knowing that, you know, having gone through and being undiagnosed is knowing what kind of damage that does to your Mm self-esteem is, um, I wrote another blog post about a month ago. Um, it started out about fighting games in Hearthstone and ended up going in a very different direction. Um, but one of the things that I learned about myself and learned from driven from reading Driven to Distraction is that um, being undiagnosed can can really destroy your self esteem, and and I can definitely know that with myself. Like I have, I, I put on a pretty brave face online, but I to be honest, have extremely low self-esteem and self-confidence. And it's something that I struggle with. And and knowing that a lot of it is because of being undiagnosed kind of helps, but it doesn't make it better. 
Um, but the one thing that happens is that you know that you can do things and you know that you have abilities and people tell you that you're being lazy or that you're not trying or because, you know, I'm not the only one who knows that I'm smart, right? Like my, my parents and the teachers will know that I'm smart too. And they'll say, well, you know, you, you just need to, you just need to try harder or you need to stop being lazy and just do it. Or you, you need to, you know, or whatever. And it, you keep hearing that over and over again. Like, I know you're smarter than this, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And that can really, really damage you because when you, when you think that you have a skill, but you can't do it consistently, um, I mean, like hyper-focus is a thing and we, we didn't talk about this either, but the one thing that, that a lot of people don't know about ADD is that there is a thing called hyper-focus, mm -hmm. which is the, the opposite of distractibility where you will get zeroed in on something and you will just that nothing can it, it it's kind of like like a sports person would call it being in the zone um or or maybe you know if you've kind of felt that but really really intensely like there were times that I was on a project a couple of years ago and I struggled for weeks writing this this one big program that was kind of the center of it and then I locked myself in a conference room and in a day I had the whole thing written and it's like and I came out of him like I don't even know what I wrote. Right. <laughs> like, I have no idea how that happened. I have no idea what I wrote, but damn it, it's good code and it works. And, but you can't predict that, right? Like, it doesn't, right. it's hard to square, like, that one day with the three weeks that preceded it, where I'm sitting around and putting it off because I, I can't even make two things come together. Mm -hmm. So then you start to wonder if you can even do the things that you think you can do. Because if you can't do them consistently, then how, you know, then how are you able to do them in the first place? You know, and then you start. So I ended up with like a really bad case of imposter syndrome. I wrote about all this in there's a blog. There's a post on my blog called Making Magic Happen that you can read this. It's really, really long. Save it for some time when you've got some time to kill. It's but. totally it, it was it was beautiful, though. Like, well, thank you. You had all these threads and you wove them together. And it was just I read this and I was like, this is a piece of art, you know, so endorsement for people who haven't read it. Well, thank you. That's really, really sweet of you to say. It, it was. <laughs> I was in awe. But I mean, it's it's the kind of things like I would, you know, like I was big into magic when I was in high school. And like, how did I like my mom would say this to me, like, I don't understand how your magic cards could be cataloged meticulously and everything else looks like a, like a nuclear bomb just hit it. Mm -hmm. And because I was hyper focused on keeping those cards in in order because I, I felt like I needed to. And that's something that triggered my hyper focus. Like I used to describe myself as having an addictive personality. And I don't think that that's what it is. I think that I just hyper focused on things. Yep. But that's the kind of thing that when you don't have that diagnosis, you just kind of attribute it to something else. I mean, I guess in the in the end, it's a good thing because I was always terrified of getting anywhere near drugs or alcohol because I was afraid of what would happen to me. So I guess in some ways that's a good thing. Um, but it's you know, there's some things that I've, the ways that I've described myself negatively, not knowing that this other thing was going on, mm -hmm. that just coming back to the kids, like I, you know, we talked when we were talking the last time about, you know, parenting the kids, um, on the autism spectrum and how I'm never really going to know what's going through their heads mm -hmm. to be able to, to effectively help them with this. I do know, because now that I know what I know, how I'm feeling and I can see it in them. And it is a benefit to me to be able to say to them, look, I know you're trying. I know you can't help it. I, you need to do what you can to push through. I know it's hard, mm -hmm. but you need you. I know you can do this and you can try it as opposed to 
you need to stop blowing this off and be and stop being lazy and just do it already, which is the way that is very easy to get into that frame of mind. I mean, again, we have them doing these worksheets every day and we don't know how long it's going to take. And it's it could be very frustrating. And it's it's kind of a centering moment to me to say, look, I know this is tough for you. But you you need to try, and I know what you're going through, and I know it's hard, but you need to do it. And that's a big difference from you know from the kinds of things that I heard when I was a kid. And, and I don't blame my parents at all. I don't blame my teachers at all because they didn't know. They didn't know any better than I did. So to them, it did it did look like I was lazy, and it did look like I wasn't trying, and I wasn't living up to my potential. Um, you know, I mean, to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, so I want it. That's the other reason that I want to try to give them all the help I can give them now, so that they don't get plagued by those types of of secondary effects of the disorder um, later on in life when I know there's something I can do about it now. Is it the right decision for everybody to put their kids who have ADD on medication? No, of course not. Right. It's It comes down to every individual situation. For us, it's something that I feel like I need to give a tr- – I need to, to give that a chance to work, um, to give them the best chance they have to be happy and healthy later on. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to get really deep there for a second, but <laughs> no, it's it's good though, and you know that's something that again that I've heard a lot is well, my kid can focus sometimes, so clearly they don't have ADD or ADHD, and that's yeah. simply not true. In fact, um, it's very indicative that they might. Um, yeah, you know, I can I can hyper focus on writing um, and reading, and you know avoiding chores like those are things that I do really (laughs) really really well but then you know like getting started is this overwhelming thing that I have to talk myself into and it doesn't matter what writing an email starting a recording a podcast whatever like getting started is really really hard for me and then once I start then it's like oh well where did that time go yeah yeah exactly and and it's and it's the, the you know the just getting getting all the distractions out of the way to be able to get started and kind of willing yourself to do it, that if you're, if you're not being treated for it can be incredibly tough. And there, and it's not like you can really force yourself to do it. I mean, it, sometimes you can, but you have to have, it takes up so much energy and so much, so much strength that you don't have the energy to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to pick your battles. And if you don't know that that's what it is, then you don't know how to pick your battles effectively. Yeah. So, We've talked about coffee off, off, <laughs> off podcast a yeah. lot because that's currently I haven't taken medication in um, many, many years. Um, but I've noticed lately my coffee consumption creeping up. And I know that that's yeah. something that you've struggled with, too. Pre-diagnosis is that you were drinking like a lot of coffee without a lot of coffee. really knowing why beyond like it's coffee and it gives me energy or it helps me focus. Yeah, it's um. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a thing, right? Because you, a lot of this feels like you're exhausted because you are um, from trying to focus on it, from for, focus on anything, really. And I would drink an ill-advised amount of coffee in the middle of it during the day. I would usually have like a 16 ounce cup of coffee in the morning that I would make on my way to work. I'd usually go. There's a Dunkin Donuts across the street from my office, which is super dangerous. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that I go and have like a, a smaller medium coffee at, I, as I got to work. And then at lunchtime, I go and get another large coffee, large, like large, uh, either hot or usually iced coffee. Cause I'm one of those jerks who drinks iced coffee in the middle of winter in Massachusetts. I need you to explain the Dunkin' Donuts thing to me. Cause I just don't, but that's, that can be later. 
okay. Uh, <laughs> we, let's come, let's let, let let's let's come back to that because I, I want to know what I need to explain to you about about the most magical place in the world. Um, you're talking to somebody from Boston, I like know, uh, that. Dunkin' Donuts is like a religion. There's like the Red Sox and Dunkin' Donuts, and that's all. That that's it. And they're you know? infiltrating Phoenix, and I'm just like, well, I don't. <laughs> that's benevolent of them. You should be you should be thankful. Kind Dunkin' Overlords. Anyway, yeah, you need to welcome your your new coffee overlords. Um, but so I would do that, and it was and it wouldn't help, right? And and it kind of came to a head. I have sleep apnea too, just to, you know to make more th- things more fun. Um, so. Uh, my my sleep apnea mask right like a month before I got diagnosed it was not it was not adjusted right and I wasn't I was waking up in the middle of the night all the time and it got to the point where I was you know going back and forth with the sleep doctor and and he was saying well you know you really ought to not have coffee after lunch and I'm like yeah that's that's, <laughs> that's great nice for you so I but I'm like okay you're the doctor you know and I did that and I was like I was a jerk. <laughs> like I was completely like uh, it, I was completely ineffective for like a month until we got that sorted out. And even then I was still drinking all the coffee all the time. And, and what I found with the medicine is that I not that I've given up coffee. I tried that. It didn't go well because the, the caffeine withdrawal and, and mm-hmm. you know, the stimulation from the medicine are two different, completely different things that affect different you know parts of the brain, I guess. Um, but the caffeine was never really helping me focus. It was just keeping me from falling asleep, really. Okay. And and that's that's I still need it for that because I still have to wake up at five o'clock <laughs> in the morning, and I still have three kids that are running around. I was going to say parent three know, girls and and making me making me uh, jump up a wall all the time. But um, so the the coffee I haven't given it up, but I'm down to just like my my morning commuter mug, and then I'll get like a small in the afternoon, um, you know, around lunchtime, and then that's it. And, and it's a much better thing for me like my blood pressure was really out of control too mm-hmm. and so you know it was kind of a lot of things that were kind of coming from that but I, I what I found is that you know coffee I, you know I was drinking as much coffee as you could possibly drink and it wasn't doing it like it doesn't it, it it will it definitely helps with staying awake but it doesn't help with focusing as much as the medicine, medicine does definitely yeah yeah so but Dunkin Donuts is magical though <laughs> See, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not like super coffee snob, but I think I'm kind of coffee snob. And so like Dunkin' Donuts is just not that great to me. I don't know if I haven't stumbled across the magic combination. Are you a Starbucks person? No. Okay. So you, yeah, if you're, if you're doing fancy fussy coffee from an Aeropress. Oh yes. Then yeah, Dunkin' Donuts isn't going to cut it for you. But the thing about Dunkin' Donuts is that. They're literally everywhere here. So mm-hmm. um, you kind of it, it becomes something that you get used to because if you need coffee, there's always going to be a Dunkin Donuts somewhere nearby. Like you can I can count like three or four Dunkin Donuts that I can pass by on my way to work that I can I can stop at and have my choice. And I know which Dunkin Donuts <laughs> will make my will make my breakfast sandwiches the right way and which ones will always forget the way I order it and give it to me wrong and make me have to go in from the drive-through. That's awful. So <laughs> awesome. I know it's it's a hard knock life, but there's I will never forget going and being in Boston and it was like in 2008, I think, when I was there for work and I stood on a street corner and I looked in front of me and behind me and there was a Starbucks and I looked at the opposite sides of the intersection and there was Dunkin Donuts. So there was literally catty corner Starbucks, catty corner Dunkin Donuts on a street corner. Yeah. It was it just blew my mind. 
Like it still does, obviously, but it's funny because so that we have this Dunkin' Donuts is across the street from my office and that was getting renovated for a while. So they, they'd shut down for like four or five months. It was terrible. I was going so to say, you made it though. Well, yeah, because we just walked an extra block down to the stop and shop <laughs> that had a Dunkin' Donuts inside of it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was winter, so it was it was cold. Right. But, you know, we 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 managed somehow. But <laughs> that's the worst story I've heard today. <laughs> I could give you more dad jokes if you prefer that. Oh my gosh, let's talk about Splatoon. Okay, we can like, talk about. Let's talk about something a little bit happier. We we're like right at an hour, so we've got a. Yeah. We can we can stretch it a little bit, but okay. So I got a Wii U specifically because I watched Sharif Jackson playing Splatoon um, on his. Uh, what is it called? G- gaming looks gaming yes. looks good. Yeah, his. It's, if you're not subscribed to that, you ought to be. Sharif does. I mean, Sharif's a friend of both of ours, but Sharif does amazing work on that on that series, and you absolutely should be watching his yeah, uh, his videos. It's great. So I I watched it and I watched his analysis of like and he does it from like a, a lens of diversity specifically, like feminism and and people of color, and um. And I watched him and I was like, I've got to get this game. And we've been talking about getting a system and we were going to get a PS4. And then I was like, no, we need to get Splatoon. And I love it. And it's taking over my life in a not good way. Well, no, it's in the best way because that's a good, <laughs> it's a really, really good game. It I mean, we've really talked about is. this on at, at extraordinary length on Isometric. I think we spent like two whole episodes on it um, because this game is a really, really well-designed game to be a shooter for people who do not like shooters. And I mean, my one of my big pet peeves is that games are not made to p- be played with parents and children. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about this on the show constantly. I write about this every so often. Um, it's, it's a problem because I have to kind of segment the games that I play between the games that I'm playing for me that are not necessarily because of the the gameplay itself, because there are games that my kids will not play that they'll happily watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but games that I can't even play when they're around, like pretty much any AAA um, release, like B- Batman Arkham Knight just came out. I didn't get it, but there's no way I could play that yeah. game in front of the kids. Like it's way too violent and there's way too many, uh, you know, really horribly dressed uh female characters that are treated terribly yep. um there's a killing joke reference in there apparently is seriously what I've heard. oh yeah. gosh um that, so that's that's not super great um so but splatoon is really well designed both so a game that i can really enjoy and a game that they can really enjoy and that's really 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 difficult to do because you know a game that that spans that kind of age range where i can play it you know having the skills that i have and play it really effectively and they can just kind of pick it up with the motion controls and just paint around and still feel like they're contributing is is fantastic and the fact that the girl is the default character more or less i mean you can choose between a girl and a boy um squid when you start but the fact that it's a girl character who's the first one the the one that the the cursor is on to start with um is really like fantastic for them i mean i know that there are some issues our friend nick has has talked about how that's not great for people who are non-binary because Mm -hmm. it does kind of force you into choosing one or the other um and that can kind of be uncomfortable for someone who's transgender or who's non-binary um so that that is something that i i am 
aware of in that um, you know, is is a bit problematic. But just looking at it from the perspective of my daughters playing it and wanting to see themselves represented in a game, um, they're they are really, really drawn to it. And, it, and you know, the fact that the gameplay is set up so that you can you don't have to be accurate as a shooter to really be able to contribute and the just the whole vibe of it and all the art style and everything and all the dad jokes that the um that the you know the, the squid news people <laughs> i don't know if you realize this it just hit me that their names are callie and marie calamari uh... yeah yeah their 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 dad joke uh their dad joke game is on point in splatoon uh, there are some it, pretty it pretty nasty puns in there so yeah. I, I have to give them a lot of a lot of credit for that so you're never gonna see that the same way again after after me telling oh, you that. I can't believe that's gonna be like that. the arrow in the FedEx logo. Yeah, oh, <laughs> oh it's the worst. It's the but, worst. But how are you? How are you enjoying it? Because I, you know, you you, I know you enjoy games, and you, you know, you've played things like The mm-hmm. Last of Us, and we talked about that some the last time mm-hmm. that I was on too. But how? Are, I mean, I know you're enjoying it, but how are you? How are you finding it? I okay. So when I played Portal Two. My favorite part of Portal 2 was something that I see lambasted a lot. I loved the gels the you know, there was the different colored gels helped you achieve your objective um, because each each color did a different thing. So there's one that could help you like accelerate really fast. And there was one that helped you jump higher. And I just liked placing portals around the room and like making the room like colorful splashes of gel right so like i don't know what that is but there's something there's something in me that that really appeals to so and it's funny because i just heard jason snell talking about the exact same thing on upgrade today oh really so yeah so that's that's not you're not alone in that apparently (laughs) i like jason so much um anyway so um so yeah, there's there's that like that piece, but I like, you know, probably a lot of the things that that your daughters like. Like I like that it's colorful. You know, I'm I'm I love it when I get like the pink or purple or blue when I'm on a pink or purple or blue team, and I'm yeah. less enthusiastic when it's like that greeny yellow color. And you know, like I like that. And I'm not um, something that you've spoken about is like being a skilled shooter. I am not at all. And yeah, I'm so, not either. Yeah, yeah, and so I can contribute. In fact, my favorite thing, I'm only level I think 6 right now. Um cuz I got I got the we got the Wii U just before we went to San Francisco and there was a whole lot of prep involved in that trip. So I haven't had a lot of time to play yet, but um but I I have the roller and I like I like running people yeah. over with the roller. <laughs> yeah, my my daughters do too. That's their favorite part. Is they yeah. see somebody and they just start going for like a beeline after them. Like, yeah, you know you could just go paint over here. No, I want to splat them. Okay, <laughs> fine. Yeah, you know, and um, it it's just it's just fun. It's fun that you can, you know, there is no like coordination. You just kind of go do your thing and you try to help as best you can and. You know, you're you're not hurting anybody um, by doing what you're doing. And um, I just I I think it's wonderful. I think that it's I hesitate to say revolutionary, but I think that it's a twist, a much needed twist on gaming right now. 
Um, For all of those reasons you've talked about, like it's family friendly, but it's still fun. It's still a skill game. You know, if you if you really want to get into ranked playing, you can you can develop skills and start doing that. And like, I don't care. And I just I think it's a wonderful game. I'm so, so glad I can play it. Yeah. and, And there was actually a really interesting article on Polygon today. Uh, about from a, a developer um, of, of iOS games. I think he does stuff on uh, on the PC and Mac too. Um, talking about the different kinds of violence in games and that violence itself really isn't the issue, but like dehumanization is the issue, mm-hmm. um, which, which really kind of spoke to me because that's the kind of thing that I've been struggling with a lot because I don't have a problem with violence in games as much as I have a problem with like a lot of the violence that is in a lot of the AAA games. Um, I've been pretty famously... Uh, you know, made fun of at one point, And then my co-host came around for when I was talking about being tired of seeing people getting shipped in the neck mm-hmm. um, after last year's E3. And um, I think that that's really the key. And, and what's different about the, you're still shooting people in Splatoon, but what makes it different is that it's defensive as opposed to offensive. Mm-hmm. And that really makes a huge difference. Like shooting people is not the goal of the game. Like you can do it. And there are so there are certainly people who will get a get a charger, which is the equivalent of a sniper rifle, and they'll get up on whatever the highest point of the stage is and they'll just shoot people down. And and that happens. And I don't like and, those people. Yeah, and, and it's it's questionable how much value they're adding. On the one right. hand, they are keeping the other team from being able to advance. On the other hand, they're standing there and waiting around when they could be going and painting up another part of the stage. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really it disincentivizes just going and hunting people down and it it makes it more of a defensive maneuver to try to take somebody out before they take you out so that you don't have to waste time respawning. But it's not something that's encouraged to go hunt people down and you're not hurting your team if you can't do that. And that's really the big thing. Like if you try to play Call of Duty, like I've tried and I've I, I feel like a, a, a typical multiplayer first person shooter is kind of like Flappy Bird to me mm-hmm. because it's like I'm playing and all of a sudden I failed and I don't know why, but I'm going to start over again. <laughs> and I get no feedback as to what just happened. Like, I can't I don't know what it is. Like, I can't it could be part of the ADD. I don't know that I can't tell where people are and, and I can't do anything about them before they've already taken me down. Mm-hmm. And so it just becomes not fun. It's like, you know, spawn, die, spawn, die, spawn, die. And that's just not fun after a while here. You don't need to have those skills. And if you can't do that, you could just get the paint roller and just roll around and have a great time. Yeah. And that's. And, and it's it really does a lot of things design wise that make it a lot more accessible. And, and it's a, a family friendly game without being a game for kids. Yeah. And that's really like my kids right before this were playing the Monster High game for the Wii U because my, my Maureen found it at a at a uh, yard sale or something or consignment sale. And that is definitely a game for kids. I won't go through near that with a 10 foot <laughs> yeah, pole. No. But Splatoon is not a game for kids, but it's a game that kids can play. And that's a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, you know, kind of speaking to that person with the sniper rifle, you know, up there, I don't like Justin and I played. um, I don't know if they call it battle mode. In a lot of games, it's called battle mode. But anyway, like the one on one type thing. Oh, and um, he's. He's much better than me. Um, Like he grew up playing video games and I didn't. And like he's got got coordination and reactionary skills that um, I have not developed. And so he's he's much better. And it, it just felt bad. You know, he was like knocking me down and I had to go back to the spawn point and respawn. And, you know, it just that wasn't fun at all. Um, 
Yeah. You know, my, my kids have actually kept asking me to play that mode with them and I refuse to because I know that that's how it's going to turn out. And I don't want to I'd rather let them go and just play online and let them play, you know, where they feel that they can be having a positive experience. Because mm-hmm. I know that if we do that, like they can enjoy that for a little while, like we can play Smash and all. I'll end up winning most of the time and they'll be okay with it. And then there's a certain point where it turns Mm -hmm. and then they just are like, I I don't want to do this anymore. And I don't want to get to that point with it. So I don't, we haven't even tried the one-on-one version with it, but that, and you know what it, everything else that's there is so much fun that we really don't even need to go there. Yeah. It's, it's a good game. It's a fantastic game. So yeah, if you have a Wii U and you haven't played Splatoon yet, play it. If you can borrow a Wii U from someone so you can play Splatoon, like, just Do go it. buy it the just, Wii U with Splatoon and you'll yeah. be you'll be happy for it. And that's the one I have is we got the Splatoon edition and then we bought Mario Kart um, so that I can play Mario Kart with friends in far places. That that's I mean, there aren't a ton of games for it, but the ones that are there are you get your money's worth out of the games that are really good for that system. Yep. Totally yeah. agree. I mean, I you know, I I use my other systems more, but I really enjoy everything that i buy for the wii u and that's really the primary system that we use you know as a family to to play and it's been fantastic for that yeah because i mean and i think this is what you've said like you and the reason that you root for nintendo to the extent that you do is because they are the family friendly system you don't see like the ps4 is never going to have a game like splatoon yeah, I mean, there's Garden Warfare, but it's uh, Plants and Zombies Garden Warfare, but it's not the same. I, it, yeah. it, it seems like it's starting to change a little bit from E3 this year. I mean, there was there were a couple of games like the I forget what the yarn game was that EA put out that oh, I did um, not looks watch adorable. That. And um, there's also a Final Fantasy game that's being made specifically to target parents who want to play with their kids. OK, which is it's called World of Final Fantasy. It looks adorable. It's like got these little chibi um chibi characters. And and that really, you know, intrigued me in a way that I haven't really been the world's biggest Final Fantasy fan, but you better believe I'm going to go play that. And I'm going to go get that and you know by the time that that comes out, my daughters will be old enough that they'll want to be getting into that world and and to give a a good entry point into that. So I think things are starting to change a little bit that way, but you know, change tends to happen slowly yeah. with stuff like this. But yeah, triple A's yeah. big games. Yeah. Um, well, I hope it does because I mean, and I think we've talked about this previously. Like it's just good marketing, right? That's yeah. that's why marketing exists like it does, is because if you get them when they're young, they're going to be fairly loyal for the rest of their life in most instances. Like yeah. just... I mean that's why I'm a Nintendo fan because that's what I played when I was a kid. I didn't have anything else other than an NES. So until I was, you know, in college and my and Maureen and I were able to go in on a on a system together, which happened to be an N64. But that's that's why I have nostalgia for that stuff, because that's all I played. So, you know, if you want to get, you know, if you have a longstanding franchise that you want to continue on, it makes a lot of sense to, you know, make an entry in that that's targeted at a younger audience to introduce them to it. Go marketing. Yay. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to talk about today, Steve? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've we've talked about pretty much everything we wanted to we wanted to cover. And I, I guess the only thing I'll say is this. If um, if you are if you've listened to this or if you, you go and read any of my posts and you think this might apply to you, it's worth going to go talk to somebody and find out for sure it it can make a big difference. And it's, 
hard, especially for a guy because of all the things that are put on men about being strong and not wanting to go to a psychiatrist and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It can be really difficult to have that to have that conversation. But it is it's really something that you owe it to yourself to do. If this sounds like it applies to you, you should try to find out. And and if it, it may not be. But it's worth having that conversation and, and taking the time to, to have those appointments to find out, because if it is, it could really make a big difference to start addressing it, even if it's later in life. Yeah. So, Steve, where can people find you online? Well, um, the best place you can find me is um, on my podcast, Isometric, which is a video game podcast on Relay FM that I do with uh, Brianna Wu of Giant Space Cat and uh, Maddie Myers from Pace Magazine and Georgia Dow from iMore. And they are um, all way more intelligent and and um, more, you know, they're they're awesome and they have incredibly I'm always blown away every week at the things that we talk about and the the things that they bring to the table. And mm. so if you are interested in me yakking about video games for a few minutes, they are they have a ton to offer and you should really come over and, and listen to that. And you can find that at um, isometricshow.com. Um, you can also um, find some more of my writing. My personal writing is at uh, my site, which is at multiball.net. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter when I am in front of a computer to look at it. I am at Wicked Good on Twitter. And you can find the show on Twitter at Less Than or Equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to lessthanorequal.com and fill out the contact form. Uh, if you have a few minutes, please leave a review or even a star rating on iTunes. It would be much appreciated. Um, if you want to hear more from me, I was on Clockwise episode 92 um, with Jason Snell and Dan Morin last week. And I'll put a note to the, uh, put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I, I can't end a podcast without doing a yay. I so can't either. Point, so. <laughs> I, I do it even with the people I don't know. And they're just kind of like, okay, what do I do with this? And I'm like, I don't know. Just take it. Like, it's fine.